Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk. Hey y'all. Hey guys, what's up? How's your new year been? Has anyone else failed the resolutions already? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. I don't remember what mine were. (laughs) Or my goals. My goals, my goals. Maybe I'm I'm moving forward towards my goal. Forward. Forward? Forward. 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 What? (laughs) (laughs) What a confusing word. I... I I write it correctly. I know how to spell it. But when I say it, I'm like, I'm moving For, forward. Forward? For, forward? Wednesday. Let's <laughs> just say everything strange today. English is very strange. Hello. Let's use, let's use the wrong emphasis on our syllables. <laughs> how confusing would that episode be? <laughs> I can't even do it. That What you just did is so foreign to me. <laughs> emphasis on our syllables. No, I had a very interesting teacher for english in high school and he would always say like let's use the wrong emphasis on our syllables <laughs> or like he would make fun i don't know how he would say it, but he's would like, he say like, other sentences like that or no, just emphasis on syllables okay maybe he just knew how to do that because yeah. that's me right now that's all i very, can do he's a very funny guy he would also answer the phone and go i'm in the shower my eyes are all soapy <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> like the classroom it would be like the main office calling because someone's going home early to be like i'm in the shower okay (laughs) the only like i totally forgot that phones were in classrooms until this exact second i didn't because i'm a teacher (laughs) but i i remember one phone ringing and somebody got to it first and it might have been brianna but i can't remember who it was but whoever it was answered the phone buddy the elf what's your favorite color oh my god yeah no i had a different teacher the best one mr contento shout out if you're listening um he would he was he did history of some kind but he he was my psychology teacher and wait you guys learned psychology in high school yeah that's dope yeah i know well it was like i think it was ap psych it was like that's it i don't even think it was an option for me so that's cool (laughs) yeah it was cool (laughs) um but mr contento was the man and (laughs) the funny well probably not the funniest thing he did because he's like a pretty funny guy um i used to think he looked like kung fu panda but in like a hot way <laughs> there's no hot way oh there is trust me um <laughs> you could say like oh you could have said jack black but in a hot way but you said an animated panda <laughs> in a hot way <laughs> i'm telling you um but his thing that he well one of the things he would say when he answered the phone was bob's morgue you stab him we slab him this is bob <laughs> That feels like something <laughs> that you would hear in Bob's Burgers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. He was a he was a fun guy, but not a mushroom, just a fun guy. <laughs> and on that note, what are we drinking today? Well, today, as you probably learned, our story is going to focus on Rebecca Zahau, which I don't know how much you know about it or if you've heard about it. You might have if you like true crime. Oxygen recently did a series called Death at the Mansion. Rebecca Zahau. Okay, maybe that's why it sounds so familiar to me. Right. I feel like when you start the case, I'm going to be like, oh, but 
Yeah. I think I a lot know. of people are going to be like, oh, oh, I got it. Yeah. But after her death, her sister mentioned how she was a health nut and she would rather have a protein shake or a smoothie rather than an alcoholic drink. So can't this relate. week. Can't relate. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I don't feel that way. <laughs> so this week we did a smoothie drink. And what you're going to do is take one to two shots of decent bourbon, something that you could tolerate if you put it in a glass neat or if like me, you don't want to drink things neat because you like drinks cold. So like Maker's Mark? Yeah, you could do that. That's like a, it's not like a standard like decent. Oh yeah, I think that's a pretty good, yeah, yeah that's a decent one. Uh, then you're going to do a frozen banana. First, you're going to freeze that banana. Then you're going to put it in there. <laughs> um. <laughs> Then you're going to add one to two tablespoons of maple syrup, depending on how, you know, how sweet, how you, want sweet you want it. Yeah, I'm probably going to do two. Um, one and a half cups milk of your choice. Unsweetened almond milk worked well for this recipe, which is from the black Um, But I'm probably just going to use regular milk. I because, love milk. Because we this love milk. This is the second milk. week in a row talking about how much <laughs> we love milk. Oh, milk is great. It is. And then you can add a handful of ice if you want to. It's not necessary. And then you're going to blend all of that together and pour it into, this is a quote from the recipe, an awesome piece of glassware. <laughs> so pick something really awesome. Like with like one of those fun straws, the bendy straws. Or not the bendy straws, the, what are they called? The twisty ones? The, what are they yeah, called? Yeah, I would call them, oh. Crazy actually, straws. Crazy, crazy straws. straws. There you go. <laughs> You can use a crazy straw, but I think they meant your glass. So well, no, they, they put have, it into a mason like, jar. They have like those. Oh, they have the things that attached have the crazy to. Straws oh, attached. that's really cool. We like should get some of those glasses like around your. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway. No, that would be cool. But if you want a really awesome piece of drinkware, uh, you can buy a dead drunk mason jar. Oh my god! Plug. I love it. <laughs> our our link for merch is listed below. Yeah, so get your dead drunk mason jar, pour your shake into there, top it with whipped cream, add silly straw, optional, mm. literally in the directions on this website. I knew it. I knew it. And sip steady. Oh, I love the blacklabel.com. I think yeah. we're going to use them a lot more. Yeah, that was such a fun recipe. So, Rebecca Zahow, I'm starting right at the beginning. Sorry, mom. Rebecca <laughs> Zahow was born on March 15th, 1979 in Falam, a small town in the Chin Hills of Burma, which is now Myanmar. She had one older sister, Mary, who you'll hear a lot from, and five younger siblings. Together, the rather large Zahow family traveled quite a bit. They Wait, lived so in like the, the family is large or their bodies are large. Like there's a lot of them or they're like there's obese. like, well, there's. <laughs> seven siblings it looks like okay and then the two parents so they're the family's pretty so, like, large there's, they themselves there's are them. not large people <laughs> i feel like that was an important distinction to me what was it i don't know <laughs> did you guys think that that does that make them sound like they were fat okay so th oh, let's the just rather large oh okay well, let no, me change I'm my sure, wording a bit. I'm sure that everybody else knew what you were talking about. <laughs> if you didn't, let me start that sentence <laughs> over. The Zahal family, perfectly normal sized, <laughs> traveled <laughs> quite a bit. They lived in Nepal and Germany before. <laughs> maybe, maybe just take a breather. <laughs> perfectly normal. <laughs> The Zahal family, perfectly normal-sized people. 
if there is a fat person down the line, I'll be sure to distinguish that too. <laughs> anyway, the Zahao family lived in Nepal and Germany before finally settling down in the United States. This is how Rebecca learned to speak multiple languages, including English, Nepali, and Hindi. In 2001, Rebecca's parents and most of the family made their home in St. Joseph, Missouri, but Rebecca wasn't ready to settle down just yet and stay in that area because it was probably pretty boring. When I was writing that up, I, my first thought was, why Missouri? Yeah, but, places. I mean, but it's probably super affordable in Missouri. Um, Let's see. My friend Nikki lives in Missouri. Kansas City is like a, a big city. Yeah. Yeah, but they were in St. Joseph. Okay. I don't know where that is. Right. So Rebecca traveled to Arizona and found a job as an optomic technician. Oh. Which is the title of the person that assists your eye doctor. I had to look that up because I had no idea what that was. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. At this time, Rebecca met up with the then 36-year-old nursing student, Neil Nilepa, whom she had met before. And I apologize if I'm saying your last name incorrectly. The two had met years before when Rebecca was in her late teens and they both were attending the Calvary Chapel Bible College in Austria. After dating for a bit, they got married in 2002. So Rebecca seemed to be getting used to a more traditional life, at least for a little while. Then in 2008, despite being married to Neil, Rebecca began dating Jonah Shacknai, the CEO and founder of Medicis Pharmaceutical, who currently I know that they produce Restylane and that's in commercials. What is that? I don't know. It's some kind of drug for something. Drugs. Woo. <laughs> yeah. It's pharmaceutical, which means that there's big money, which sucks. Due to his high rank at the company, Shaq Knight earned $6.4 million, making him the ninth highest paid CEO in Arizona in 2010, which is where that pharmaceutical company is based. Despite that obvious silver lining to dating Shaq Knight, he also came with the baggage of two previous marriages. The first marriage was to Kimberly James, and it ended in divorce and a three-year custody battle over the couple's two children. Shaq Nye then married Dina Romano, and at the time he began dating Rebecca, the two were divorced and sharing custody of the couple's five-year-old son, Max Shaq Nye. What a name, Max Shaq Nye. I know, but I really love Max as a little kid's name. It's super cute. I don't know if his name was Maxwell or I just think Maximus. Of a little, or a pig that's like... In the Geico commercial. Like, Maxwell. Max. That's his name? Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. They say. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen you know the full commercial. The no, I know which pig you're talking about, yeah. but I don't know that I've ever <laughs> seen the full commercial. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. What? What is that a commercial for? Geico, I think. Geico? So is that coming back in the Geico sequels? Are there Geico sequels? Yeah. They've been talking about it for a while. I know there was an episode. They're bringing back the Pinocchio guy. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I was getting nervous we'd never hear from him again. No, I, I saw one that had like a bunch of the characters in them and mm -hmm. Maxwell was there. Oh, then he's probably in it. Yeah. So Rebecca divorced her first husband and quit her job in December of 2010. Reportedly to spend more time with Shaq Nye and his family because they were so in love. She ended up getting pretty close with Shaq Nye's youngest child, Max. Some acquaintances reportedly said that their bond was so strong that they were convinced Rebecca was his mother. Even though she, like, they didn't look alike. Rebecca then went to stay with Jonah and his family at the Spreckles Mansion in Coronado, California, which Shaq Nye used as his summer estate. 
So permanently, they lived in Arizona, but for summers, they traveled to Coronado, which is a beautiful island off of the coast of San Diego or attached to San Diego. I I believe it because when I recently went to Disney World, we stayed at the Coronado Springs Resort. It was literally amazing. So now... The short story behind the mansion is that it was built in 1908 by industrialist John D. Spreckles. That's why it's called the Spreckles Mansion. But at the time that he built the mansion, he owned the island of Coronado. So he was pretty rich. Yeah, but I guess so. Over the years, many other rich men took over ownership of the house and made renovations and additions. And at the time that Jonah Shacknai and Rebecca Zahau and Max Shacknai were in it, it the mansion itself is 10,500 square feet oceanfront and has 11 bathrooms, a guest house, and caretaker's quarters. Holy crap. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. But this totally awesome, beautiful mansion would be the site of not one, but two deaths. Oh, gosh. Okay. On July 11th, 2011, Rebecca was at the mansion watching Young Max. All of a sudden, Rebecca, who was in the bathroom, heard a loud crash and rushed out to find Max lying face down at the bottom of the staircase with the glass chandelier next to him on the floor. Oh my god, wait, next to him? Yeah, he fell from the second story landing. Oh my god. Rescuers were able to get the young boy breathing again, but at that point, he had been without oxygen for nearly 30 minutes. So, let me tell you what that means. If CPR is administered within the first six minutes after the heart stops, then the brain may survive the lack of oxygen. After just six minutes, however, the brain begins to die. Now, some things can be done to assess brain damage done during this time and maybe even treat it. But after a prolonged period of time without oxygen, the brain will die. And the article I found that explains this, which is from the science section of HowStuffWorks.com and will be linked in our sources on the website, also took the time to clarify that everyone, no matter what age or how healthy they are, dies from brain death. So after six minutes... You're you're donezo. Yeah. So without knowing this, Rebecca tried her best to save him and keep him alive with CPR until the ambulance arrived to take him to the hospital. Once there, Max was placed on life support. But again, it was it was pretty much too late. Max Shacknai did end up dying five days later on July 16th after being removed from life support. In the meantime, the Coronado police attempted to piece together what happened to the little boy since there was no one that actually witnessed the fall. Now, there were a few varying details of police theories on what happened that caused Max's death. Some sources, like an oxygen series, the death at the mansion, say that Max was riding a scooter in the upstairs hallway. But according to an article in Arizona Central, the Coronado police commander, Mike Lawton, reportedly said that Max appeared to have been running down a hallway at the top of the stairs when he pitched over a second floor railing and fell to his death. But he's five. Yeah. And the second floor railing is taller than a five-year-old. Yeah, that it doesn't sound like you can accidentally fall over. Right. But on July 26th, the investigators ruled Max's death an accident, suggesting that he tripped somehow and fell over the second floor banister. A graphic presentation from the Coronado police outlined the possible trajectory of the boy's fall and guessed that after falling over the banister, Max either hit or tried to grab onto the chandelier. Then he hit another banister on the way down before finally crashing on the floor. I That's like really sad. Yeah. But I feel like I don't understand how that could have been an accident. Right. So 
the family didn't really get that either. So it's unclear on whether they hired this guy or if he just looked into it, but a trauma doctor that had examined Max before his death stated that after looking over the autopsy report, he did not believe that Max's injuries were consistent with the injuries sustained in the fall. So it said that, well, the trauma doctor said that with the additional cardiac arrest and brain swelling that he suffered, it's more likely that Max may have been suffocated before his fatal fall. This has never made a difference to the Coronado police who remained confident in their declaration that Max Shacknai's death was an accident. Okay, so this guy thinks that he was strangled and then like made to look like he fell? Yeah, this guy thinks that he was strangled and then thrown over the balcony, yeah. which would make a little bit more sense because it doesn't... I I don't understand how a five-year-old could have pitched himself over the... right. The railing. And like, would he do that on purpose? Because that sounds like it would be a very purposeful. Do you know what I'm saying? Would Max do that on purpose yeah. or would somebody kill Max? No, Is like. So, oh, Max? Like, yeah, what if he I mean, I didn't know him, but I don't. You know, right. I'm saying like, it, it sounds like a purposeful thing to do if a five-year-old was going to get himself up and over the. Right. They'd have to climb it. They'd have to climb it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And there'd probably be evidence of them climbing it because because he's a five year old. They just they leave evidence behind. Yeah. I have a class of like four and a half year olds. So, yeah. And like my class is like about the same age as him. And anytime they do something, you know exactly what they did. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so regardless of that, doctor, Coronado Police Sheriff Gore reportedly said, I'm confident in the results of our investigation. And so was Jonah Shacknai. Despite being distraught over his son's death, he seemed to be just struggling to come to terms with his tragic loss and not looking any further into the cause. Interesting. But at this point, Jonah Shacknai wasn't just struggling to come to terms with one tragic death. Oh, God. On July 12th, 2011, the day after Max's fall, Rebecca went to the airport to pick up Shacknai's brother, Adam, who had just flown in from Memphis, Tennessee. I didn't find if this was a planned trip or if he just flew in because Max was in the hospital. Right. But it's probably because of Max. Rebecca and Adam then ate dinner with Jonah and a family friend named Howard before parting ways. Rebecca and Adam returned to the mansion while Jonah headed back to the hospital to keep vigil by Max's bedside with Max's mother, Dina. Okay. Neighbors reported hearing loud music coming from the Spreckles mansion that night. Then at around 6.45 a.m. on the morning of July 13th, Adam Shacknai stated that he found Rebecca Zahau's naked body hanging from a second floor balcony. Her wrists and ankles were bound with red rope and she had her hands behind her back. Zahau was also gagged with a long sleeve blue t-shirt that was wrapped around her head and had the sleeves double knotted and stuffed in her mouth. Holy crap. Who did the t-shirt belong to? Do we know? That was never discussed. Oh gosh. Okay. Adam called 911 at 648 and then texted his brother to tell him that Rebecca was dead. Adam then cut her down from the balcony and waited for the police to arrive. He cut her down. Yeah. Well, this is when he says he cut her down. But, like, wouldn't you just leave her the way you found her for police to find? Isn't that part of the investigation? Doesn't that kind of tamper with the evidence if you cut her down and move her from where she was found? Yes, but I'll get into his what he did a little bit later. Okay. Uh, medics tried to revive her, but unfortunately, it was too late. Rebecca Zahau was pronounced dead at the scene. 
And the police immediately set to work investigating the scene for forensic evidence. And although they did discover something that appeared to be tape residue on Rebecca's legs, they could not find any DNA other than Rebecca's. Despite this lack of forensic evidence, the police found a strange message written in black paint on her bedroom door. It said, she saved him. Can you save her? What? Yeah. Nobody knows what this means. Nobody still knows what this means. I have so many chills right now. Mm -hmm. Smears of this same black paint were found on Rebecca's body and the paintbrushes were discovered in her bedroom along with a bloody knife. This evidence, combined with the complicated knots used to bind Rebecca, led both the team behind Oxygen series Death at the Mansion and the Zahal family's attorney to assume that Rebecca was both murdered and sexually assaulted that night. Toxicology reports showed that Zahal did not have any drugs or alcohol in her system. As we've stated earlier, she would rather have a protein shake. The autopsy revealed that Zahal had suffered four different instances of head trauma. There have been a variety of theories on this from both investigators and outside commentators, but the San Diego medical examiner, Jonathan Lucas, explained it by saying that because there was evidence that she went over the balcony in a non-vertical position, she may have struck her head on the balcony on the way down. While this may be a likely explanation, forensic consultant Dr. Maurice Godwin expressed some doubt, stating, quote, the chances of bumping into the railing, going over the balcony, and hitting your head four times is highly unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because no if you way. tied like a potato to a railing and threw it over, it probably only hit once One or time. twice. Yeah. Not four times. Right. And was it in like the same spot? Well, they didn't do the potato thing. I was just no, saying. but I was like, saying like was where her head. Oh, injuries I in the I didn't same find spot? where her head trauma happened. I didn't find like an autopsy, an actual autopsy report. I'm sure you could see it if it's out there, but I mean, I doubt it. Yeah, I really doubt exactly. it. Exactly. And they would just explain that as being like, oh, she was rotating. Stupid noise. <laughs> yeah, but so normally in cases like these the police reach out to the victim's family to let them know what happened, right? Yeah. That's not what happened for the Sahal family. Somehow, the media got word of what was going on at the Spreckles mansion, and Rebecca's body was not covered up at all. So media helicopters had footage that showed Rebecca's tied, bound, and naked body laying in the grass in the backyard of oh, the Spreckles mansion. Oh, no. Not even covered up in any way, shape, or form. What the heck? And that was like on the news? Mm-hmm. And that's how they saw it. Oh, my God. Isn't that just the most unprofessional and ridiculous thing? That's just, I mean. Yeah. What the hell, dude? <sighs> I so, can't even imagine. At this time, when it was left out there, they were going through the rooms and trying to find anything, but the family could obviously see her. So the family, including her sister, Mary Zahal Lon Loner, her, her last name, her second last name is, I'm just going to call her Mary. So <laughs> she's featured heavily because she's her sister's biggest advocate. Ugh, she okay. is adamant that there was foul play involved. Yeah. Well, how else? Right. That's what I thought, too. Oh but the San Diego police on September 2nd, just seven weeks after the body was found, they formally declared Rebecca Zahau's death a suicide. No. How would she tie her own arms behind her back? 
What a great question. I would love to fucking know. They claimed that just hours before her body was discovered, Rebecca had accessed her voicemail and heard a message from her boyfriend, Jonah Shacknai, in which he explained the worsening condition of his son. This, according to the police, was what pushed the how to take her own life. What? In apparently the most complicated way she could think of. I, I, yeah, I, if you're going to commit suicide, wouldn't you just like... Jump? Yeah, or like pick like something fast like you wouldn't i don't uh, yeah, know i've it, never been in that mental state thank god but um yeah me neither I, so i can't like attest that this isn't the way i wanted to go but i, I mean i don't want to go that way but yeah no it's just like it doesn't make any sense but more importantly mary was adamant that her sister would never do that yeah especially if max isn't even dead yet at this point right no, his condition is worsening, and that's what the call was saying. So he's right. he's not yet been declared dead and taken off life support. Right. So you think she would at least wait until after that was... Right. If that was going to be the reason, right? Y- maybe. I don't know. The don't know She was responsible for Max when the accident happened. So it's possible the guilt might have driven her. But Mary doesn't think she would ever even commit suicide. Right. Mary stated, I know my sister and she would not want to hurt us. She was not the type of person that would commit suicide. There is no way. And even Zahao's ex-husband came forward, Neil, and told the San Diego Union Tribune, Tribune, I would not believe Rebecca would commit suicide. It's out of character. Mary also had a text message from Rebecca that she had received just hours before her death. Mary had asked how Max was doing, and Rebecca responded, not okay, but better. No swelling detected, and they have decreased the amount of coma. And he said he seemed more alive. I can't believe this. It's a nightmare, and particularly it's hard for me because I love him like my own, but he is not, and I need to be strong for Jonah. Now, does that sound like somebody that was going to commit suicide? No, being strong for Jonah is not taking your own life. Exactly. In 2013, after years of pleading with the San Diego Sheriff's Department, the Zahal family sued to have the case reopened. Good. In this lawsuit, they criticized law enforcement's idea that Rebecca tied herself up with a series of intricate knots, put a noose over her head, and then somehow propelled herself over the balcony's railing. Yeah, so she would have had to put the noose on her head first, then somehow tie her hands behind her back because she couldn't put the noose on with her hands behind her back. And then what, like waddle over to the... Hop. She would have been only been able to yeah. hop because her ankles were also right. tied. So in response to that, the sheriff's investigators released a video showing one of their own female officers that closest resembled Rebecca's body type, tying the same knots around her wrists and then around her ankles. And then she slides her arms, her legs, like she takes her legs and she moves them like over her arms. So her arms go behind her back and she manages to, to do it. But they never explain how Rebecca would have thrown herself over the railing of the balcony, which is the same problem for Max. Yeah. The height doesn't work. Yeah. I have chills again. I just don't like if you're going to hang yourself, why bo- like bound your your hands and your feet? Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't. It, it's not any way any rational person or you're not rational in the time you decide to commit suicide but 
it's not how anybody would do it no so the fact that it can be done doesn't mean that it was yeah so the family still doesn't believe it they're not willing to take this so since the police won't further look into it they start looking at the only other person that was at the Spreckles mansion that night, Adam Shacknai. So first, they look at his 911 call. Now I'm going to play it for you. Yeah, I do. Cool. Now an emergency, what are you reporting? Yeah, uh, I, I got a girl hung herself. Okay, sir, is she yeah. still alive? You're alive. Well, last time we saw her. Last night. Okay, is she beyond help? No, I'm compressing her chest right now. I mean, okay, hold on. So what's what's, what's, your, what's, what's your name? Adam Shackner. Okay, listen to me. Help is coming right now. Um, okay, two things. Mm-hmm. He said a girl? Yeah, I knew you were going to pick up on that because it's really important when they don't say the name. Yeah. It's an immediate indication of guilt. Oh, my God. I have full body chills. Mm -hmm. So a girl is hanging. And then (laughs) I couldn't (laughs) help but laugh. Are you alive? (laughs) Are you alive? (laughs) Yeah, which is not the way you check if somebody's alive. But then, so he says he found a woman hanging and that he cut her down and began doing chest compressions. However, Mary... A former ICU nurse claims, and anybody who's taken CPR in school can claim, you can't hold a phone up to your mouth and speak that clearly if you are actually performing CPR. Oh, yeah. In addition to this, it's revealed in a Dr. Phil series, which is where the 911 call is from. Despite his claims that he cut her down from the balcony and removed the gag from her mouth, none of Adam's DNA was found on either of those items. So if he did those things... He did it with gloves on. Yeah. There's more to this call, though. In the Oxygen series, Brad Murphy, a forensic audio engineer, examines the frantic call further and found a few suspicious things in the original recording that most listeners would not notice at first. I love this kind of stuff. Okay. Like, I didn't notice it. So he uses the science of voice fingerprinting, which is the idea that everyone's voice is just as unique as their physical fingerprint, which I can attest to because I hate listening to my voice in the podcast, but I love (laughs) hearing it when I talk to myself. So Murphy was able to detect what sounds like a second person present during Adam Shackney's 911 call. So according to Murphy, in the part of the call where Adam's voice is garbled and the caption says it's inaudible, Shackney can actually be heard saying, hold her still. This would suggest that he is talking to someone else. Murphy also says that just after he delivers that command, a distinctly different voice fingerprint is picked up by the spectrogram, which reinterprets sounds into visual representations. And that indicates that someone else is in the room. Oh, my God. Wait, can we listen to it again? Yeah. I want to see if I can. I don't know that we'll be able to hear it because he's listening through multiple different tools. But yeah, let's try. I have no idea. I didn't hear hold her still, but I have no idea what he was saying. No, I didn't hear it, but he's using a bunch of different tools okay, and his yeah, yeah. his job is specifically this. Okay. So That's maybe cool he did job. hear it. How it's, do I get that to be my job? I don't know. You have like really good ears or something. I don't know. <laughs> So he also said that Shaq and I can be heard rifling around in what sounds like a kitchen area. Like he's digging around for a knife to cut Zahao down. But at this point, he's already told 911 that he did this. Right. So you can, in that part, you can kind of hear something that sounds like it might be rifling. But, you know, like I can't tell what those noises are. 
Yeah, it does kind of sound like right before he says his name. It's like Yeah, like you can hear him rifling through something. Yeah. So I mean the belief at this point is that he hadn't actually cut her down and he hadn't begun chest compressions. Well, obviously he hadn't begun chest compressions at this point, but but still there was no actual DNA evidence tying Adam Shacknai to the crime. So the police would not reopen the case. So the Zahal family decided to take action and filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Adam Shacknai, hoping that this would not only bring them some kind of closure and Rebecca some kind of justice, but also help persuade law enforcement to take another look at the case. So Keith Greer, the Zahal family's attorney, believes that the evidence left behind at the mansion clearly suggests that Rebecca was sexually assaulted before she was murdered. When even more evidence came to light, it appeared that he was right. The family's other attorney, Ann Bremner, gained access to the sheriff department's reports and examined evidence that had not been released to the public. On Dr. Phil, Bremner stated, quote, They didn't look at a pair of women's underwear in a garbage can in the guest house. They didn't look at black gloves at the scene. They didn't look at many people with DNA and fingerprints. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. So just for clarification, Adam Shacknai was staying in the guest house of the Sparkles Mansion. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bremner went on to say, quote, this is a case where there's blood in the shower, not analyzed. There's footprints in the kitchen, not analyzed. She also claimed that the sheriff's department did not analyze DNA evidence from the crime scene. Bremner said, quote, we have mixed DNA in this case all over in things like the knife, the bed frame and black gloves. Mixed DNA unexplained as to who these other donors are. So although there was no direct DNA evidence linking Adam Shacknine to the scene, there are traces of DNA in that bedroom that don't match Rebecca. Why was this never investigated? Like, this is so sloppy. Yeah. We are in California. Okay, but yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, that's yeah insane. So the case of the knife is pretty interesting. There are no fingerprints on the handle of the knife, not even Rebecca's. Instead, her prints were found on the blade of the knife and the placement of the prints were consistent with her having her hands tied behind her back and holding the knife upright. So almost as if she was using the knife to try and cut herself loose. No. Oh, my God. And although there were no fingerprints on the knife, there was blood found on all four sides of the handle. At the civil trial, Greer called forensic specialist Lisa DeMeo to the stand. DeMeo testified that the blood on the knife handle, and prepare yourself for this one because it's kind of grisly, was Rebecca Zahau's menstrual blood, meaning that she was assaulted with that knife handle. A witness for the defense tried to refute this by saying that while she was photographing Rebecca's body for the cops, a cut on her finger was still oozing blood. So she just figured that the blood smear was from that wound. But when she was asked to demonstrate how the blood would have gotten from the blade to all four sides of the knife handle, she just took the knife and put it through a few of her fingers and then the handle with the other fingers. Greer stated, quote, she'd have to rotate it around and basically intentionally try and smear the knife. Yeah. And according to Greer, this just left the jury shaking their heads. They were just like, mm, what? So that was oh a ridiculous God. defense. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Greer then presented the court with the fact that Rebecca was not suicidal. Psychologist Karen Hancock, who examined Rebecca that night, stated she had no indication. 
really, that I could visibly see or from statements that she made that Rebecca was suicidal. While she was shaking at the news of Max, no one saw any kind of signs that Rebecca was planning to take her own life. Again, that text message to Mary saying she has to be strong for Jonah doesn't doesn't no, insinuate doesn't, that she was planning to take her own life. Doesn't add up. Greer then took his argument a step further and presented the court with a mannequin resembling Rebecca's body and features. It had a wig on it and everything. Oh, God. He even had a forensic pathologist transfer marks that were found on Rebecca's body onto the mannequin. Then Greer pointed each of the marks out as inconsistent with the idea of suicide. Buckle up. Oh my God. I was already buckled. And now <laughs> I, have to, I have to tighten the... Buckle yourself up in that car seat. Yeah. <laughs> First, there was the black paint found on Rebecca's nipples. Greer stated, quote, If she was the one who pinched her own nipples, she would have evidence of paint on her fingers. But if you look at the fingers, there's no paint on the inside where you would be pinching and tweaking and touching things on the right hand or on the left hand. There's nothing. Oh, my God. Then there was the blood smear on the inside of her thigh, which Greer argued was a transfer mark from the sexual assault. Right. This was evident from how the blood stain was the exact size of the knife handle. Oh my God. And the forensic pathologist DeMeo, she backed him up. Next, Greer pointed out that Rebecca could not have thrown herself over the railing, which is what I was saying before. Yeah. With her hands and feet tied as they were, she would have had to hop to move anywhere. James Kent, a forensic kinesiologist, he explained that because of this, quote, she would have had to fall forward onto the railing. She wouldn't go over because her center of gravity is below the railing with her hands behind her. There's no way to propel herself, no way to do anything but sit there. So it's like if you were to like lay down stomach on a swing. I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And like because you you can kind of move because it's a swing. Yeah. But other than that, if your hands are tied behind your back, you can't move. Yeah. So... And if your feet are bound, it's not like you could really like get a. Yeah, you can't really do a good hop. Yeah, yeah. You can. I mean, you can hop all you want, but. But it's only going to be from. There's no like propelling yourself. Yeah. Greer also played a recording of a neighbor's testimony for the court. The neighbor who said she lived two doors down from the mansion told investigators that she heard something that night. And what she heard was, quote, she went, ah, then she yelled help as clear as it was. I don't think she was in the back of the house. I think she was in the front, right out in front, you know, down there in the front yard. So the neighbor thinks that at some point during the night, she was out in the front yard yelling for help and somebody went to get her. Oh, my God. Mm hmm. Next, Greer argued that the handwriting of the cryptic note on the door matched the handwriting of Adam Shackney. Oh, no. Yeah, he and, called a handwriting expert. And we all know from the uh, Hop, Hopman, 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 the Lindbergh kidnapping that mm-hmm. like handwriting experts are experts. Like they knew yeah. that guy was German. They knew everything about that guy f- just from his handwriting. Mm-hmm. And this guy is for sure an expert. So... He did, however, only analyze Adam Shagnai and Rebecca Zahau's handwriting in relation to this. But he did say that after looking at both of those uh, handwriting styles, it 
matched Shaq Nye's. Specifically on the A's and the M's. The M was specifically important, at least to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the M has a longer line at the end of it every time he writes it. And, and it's on the door. In his name, too. So it's yeah. like he writes it a lot. There's yeah. probably a lot to pull and from. Rebecca's letter M never had that. Although he did only check their handwriting, it it looks like it's more likely that Adam wrote that yeah. on the door. Which they did completely disconnect from the mansion and bring into court, by the way. Wow. So Adam Shackney's defense was essentially stating over and over again how the police had already investigated this death and determined it was a suicide and that there was no DNA evidence tying Adam to Rebecca at all. So that's that, right? Jonah Shackney did speak in support of his brother, indicating that he didn't believe him capable of this and explaining how Rebecca's state of mind might have swayed her into taking her own life. Then Adam took the stand and explained how he emerged from the guest house that morning to see Rebecca hanging from the balcony, and how he called 911, cut her down, attempted CPR, and called his brother. None of which convinced the jury because it had already been argued that you didn't do that. Yeah. So in April of 2018, six years after her death, a civil jury found Adam Shackney responsible for the death of Rebecca Zahal. The jury voted 9-3 to three in favor of the plaintiff that Shackney's actions directly caused Rebecca's death. It was ultimately determined that he owed her mother, Paris Zahal, approximately $5,167,000 in damages. Oh my god. Outside the San Diego courthouse, Adam Shackney responded to the verdict by saying that he's not worried about it at all. He explained that they made a good case, quote, if you care about evidence pointing to the fact that there was no forensic DNA found linking him to the scene of Rebecca's death. Then Adam Shackney went on to detail his plans to sue the Zahal family back for defamation and malicious prosecution. Shackney also stated, I'm standing tall. I'm not afraid of these posers. That's a quote. He called them posers. That's, That's not a good look for you. Finally, a reporter asked Shaknai if he was shocked at the jury's decision, and Shaknai said, nothing shocks me. And that was the end of that press conference. Wow. Yeah, he's gross. I don't know for sure that he's a murderer, but he's definitely gross. He did it. He did it. I'm convinced. The civil trial did convince the San Diego Sheriff's Department to reopen the case later in 2018. Rich Williams re-examined the evidence from the original case as well as the new evidence brought up in the civil case. Williams stated in a news conference that there were still no signs of a struggle or a sexual assault in either of the autopsies performed on Rebecca's body. The chief medical examiner announced, quote, The San Diego County Medical Examiner's Department has concluded that the initial investigative findings are well documented and correctly interpreted. The cause and manner of death in the case of Rebecca Zahau's case remains unchanged. So they still think it's a suicide. Yeah. Despite his claims of a countersuit, Adam Shackney's insurance settled with the house for $600,000. No amount of money can make up for the lack of justice for Rebecca, and Mary isn't ready to give up yet. In August of 2019, Mary held a news conference and explained that after two rulings of suicide, the Zahal family has filed a civil grievance against the San Diego Sheriff's Department. The family apparently learned that the police cleared Adam Shackney despite the fact that he failed his polygraph test. Oh, my God. I know that's not admissible in court, but... Still. Yeah. 
She also announced that the family is now offering a $100,000 reward for anyone offering new information on the case that could lead to the arrest of Adam Shacknai, who they believe is really guilty in the murder of Rebecca Zhao. And honestly, we kind of do too. Yeah. During the conference, Mary stated, and this is what I'd like to leave you with. I wish you all could have known her. She was an incredible person and she sure knew how to make someone smile. And she was a fighter. And I know she fought the night she died and she left plenty of clues and plenty of evidence that went ignored. So, yeah, we're still waiting to see what comes from that lawsuit. But there's no way that was a suicide. That's what I thought. As soon as I put on that oxygen series and they showed that she had her hands and feet tied. No way. Absolutely no way. Also. Say she somehow tied herself up. She hopped over and propelled herself over the ledge. What is the explanation for the knife? Yeah, that's, I mean, there's so much that they can't explain. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they can explain, all right, this is, she did this to herself. She hit her head on the way down four times. What is the knife? Yet they haven't, they haven't mentioned Why it at all. Why did she even have the knife in her, in her hands? I don't know. From, from the forensic evidence that everybody has talked about like the blood of the handle and their fingerprints on the knife my guess is that adam shacknai or whoever it was sexually assaulted her with the handle of that knife and then left it close enough for her to try and grab it to cut herself loose or she somehow grabbed it and was cutting herself loose he saw that's that's what she was doing caught her doing it took it and was like fuck you bitch and then assaulted her with it yeah because she I mean, that's to that's totally loose. possible, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. The idea behind Adam Shacknai being responsible is that he was like taking it out on Rebecca. What happened to Max? Yeah. Which is still another question I have. Like, what really happened to Max? I don't. I don't know whether it was a scooter or he was running. There's no real possible way that he could have propelled himself over that railing. I don't believe that Rebecca would have anything to do with it, though. And Adam wasn't at the mansion yet. Right. Exactly. So uh, I don't I don't know what to think in the case of Max Shacknai. But either way, both of these deaths are really mysterious. And the Coronado police just seem to be going, eh. And maybe they're doing it because Jonah Shacknai is really, really rich. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's all everything's about money. Everything is about money. And Jonah Shacknai could have been like. Well, my brother didn't do that, so figure it out a different way. Yeah. Ugh, that's disgusting. I cannot or believe that. he could have been involved if the audio expert is correct and there was somebody oh, else yeah, there. He I completely forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, he might have He might have even been involved. Maybe yeah, the Shacknai brothers did it. Maybe. There has also been some this speculation that speculation. Dino was involved. Speculation. Mm -hmm. We are not accusing anybody. No, we're not accusing. It's complete speculation at that if there was another person there, it's been speculated that it it could have been Jonah. It's been also speculated that it could have been Dina, because Max's maybe, mother. Because maybe any of them might blame Rebecca for what happened if Rebecca was the one that was supposed to be like watching Mac. Right. Which I could understand, but yeah. I don't know that especially Dina, Dina has actually come forward and expressed the idea that she doesn't believe that Max's death was an accident. And I think right. she came forward and says she doesn't believe Rebecca's death was a suicide either. Yeah. But that she's not 
Oh, they were actually blamed publicly and they came forward and said, we didn't have anything to do with it, but we also don't think she killed herself. Yeah. I could be wrong on that, but I know that Dina and her sister did come forward and say something to that effect and, and not so much sided with the Zahals, but did say that like, yeah, well, it's a little far fetched, isn't it? Yeah. Like Epstein didn't kill himself. Rebecca Zahow definitely did not kill herself. Oh, no. Yeah. There's a lot more evidence that Rebecca Zahow didn't kill herself. Why don't we get that trending instead of people screaming like Epstein didn't kill himself. Zahow didn't kill herself. Yeah. Because like who even cares? Epstein's dead. That's fine. (laughs) Zahow didn't kill herself. She didn't kill herself. She just didn't. She didn't. Okay. She had a lot to live for. She loved her family. Maybe she loved Jonah Shackney. I don't know. Maybe he sucked. I don't know. That's speculation. Speculation. I don't know him. (laughs) But she had to have loved living in that mansion. And, you know. Yeah. She definitely loved her family. And I think Mary's probably right. She wouldn't have done anything to hurt her. Right. Her family. God. I hate this. I don't know anything about this case. Yeah. It's it's bonkers, isn't it? It's like, I mean, that was why I wanted to cover it. Because as soon as I saw it on Oxygen, I thought... Nuh-uh. No, there's no way there's the police have no still way. they did several conf- like they actually you can find the and I'll link it in the sources on our website. The video of the female officer doing like tying herself up and demonstrating how it could have been done is still out there. Yeah. So you can find it. And that was their whole argument like, oh, she could have done it. Yeah, I guess anybody could have. Yeah. But why would that be the way that I and there's just so much other evidence that it doesn't it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Basically, Rebecca Zahow didn't kill herself and the Coronado police are just ignoring that fact. Yeah. But Mary Zahow is on the case. She's still working it. Rooting for you, Mary. We're rooting for you. I don't have any new information, so don't give me that $100,000. But I hope that somebody comes forward if with any information. For some reason, you have more information. Just just call them, you know? Yeah. give her. Don't call the Coronado Police Department. Call, Find Mary Zahow. Call Mary Zahow, yeah. So now, let's segue away from that. Keeping in mind that Rebecca Zahow didn't kill herself. Yes. Would you like to do this quiz on BuzzFeed? Yes, I'm excited for our caboose today because I definitely need one after that. This quiz is called Only a True Crime Expert Can Get More Than 7 Out of 10 on This Quiz. So it's short and sweet, but let's see if we can be an expert. Heck yeah. Question one. How would Ted Bundy usually lure women to his car? It's multiple choice. By offering them a lift... By feigning disability or injury, by pretending to be a salesman. I know what my answer is, but I'm going to give you a few seconds at home. Um, isn't it by feigning injury? Or yes, because he had the the cast on his arm at the beach. Yeah, he would often wear a fake cast or an arm sling in order to get women to help him carry things to his car. Then he would hit them over the head. They also used that in Silence of the Lambs as part of that killer's like... Oh, that's so scary. Yeah. 
I don't know why, but fictional serial killers are more scary to me than Whoa. real ones. Because I feel like if a real one approached me, I'd be like, Haha, no. But like Buffalo Bill is just terrifying to me. I yeah. Well, it's because they took like for the fictional ones, they take all the creepiest aspects of the real ones and put them together into one person. Uh, right. You know, like I don't know that I would have said no to Ted Bundy because he's like he doesn't yeah. look like. Which I mean, right now I'm part. looking at the face of John Wayne Gacy and like, nope, it's a big old <laughs> nope. And that brings us to question two. What was John Wayne Gacy known as? The Night Stalker, the Killer Clown, the Highwayman. The Killer Clown. Yeah. Uh, his alter ego was actually Pogo the Clown. That is the creepiest thing also. Yeah. I, I Like of all things to be a clown. Really? Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if a fear of clowns was around before him, but after him, it was like, nope, nope, no clowns. No, thank you. This one should be easy for literally everybody. Who is the main subject of season one of the podcast, Serial? Adnan Syed, Amanda Knox, or Stephen Avery? Adnan Syed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you waited that long. I'm, I'm trying to give listeners some some time at home to. I know, but if you decision. didn't get it at home, go back and catch yourself up. Yeah, we have an episode on Adnan, and yeah, because Tierney's obsessed I with it. Obs- I feel like I've said it before. I feel like he's my friend, and I need him out of jail like now. Okay, like yesterday. He probably would be a great friend, right? Yeah, he was like popular. He was he? had a lot of friends. Yeah. Go listen to our episode, Shelby, if you don't remember. Oh, I do remember him being popular. <laughs> he was very likable. He probably still is. He's probably got a bunch of friends in jail. He's been in there for a very long time, unfortunately. Next question. How was Jeffrey Dahmer caught? One of his intended victims escaped and notified the police. A neighbor complained about a foul smell coming from his apartment or he tried to solicit sex from an undercover officer. I wasn't listening. I'm really sorry. Katie just texted me. <laughs> okay. Can you, can you say that part again? Okay. Do you need the question again? Yes. How was Jeffrey Dahmer caught? One of his intended victims escaped and notified the police. A neighbor complained about a foul smell coming from his apartment. Or he tried to solicit sex from an undercover officer. I don't know the answer to this. I didn't either. <laughs> we, I guess we need to do research on Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, we do because Jordan wants us to cover it. Oh, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess number two because he like kept the bodies in his house, right? Didn't you were right. Oh, yeah. I guessed an undercover officer, so I was wrong. But Dahmer was arrested by police after he attempted to assault Tracy Edwards. Oh, no, you were wrong. Oh, oh it was one. one of his intended victims escaped. Oh, see, I was thinking about like Kendall Francois and that's what happened with him. Oh, so I thought right. It, I thought they were like. No, for Dahmer, one of his intended victims, Tracy Edwards, was able to escape the apartment and managed to get the attention of a police car. At the apartment, police found gruesome Polaroid photos of the bodies of Dahmer's victims and therefore had enough to arrest him on the spot. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess he kept, didn't he kept keep his victims in like a freezer anyway, so I guess it wouldn't have smelled. Yeah, well, no, they kept, um, didn't he keep jars of them? I don't jars know. Jars of body parts? I thought he kept their heads in You know in what? 
We'll find all this out when we research Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. because Jordan told us to. Yeah. Next question. The Green River Killer used to do what with the bodies post-murder? Embalm them, have sex with them, dismember them. It's dismember them, right? That's what I was going to say, but then I second-guessed myself. Oh, my God. It's wrong. Did he have sex with them? Yeah. Ugh. Oh, that's gross. That's another one that would be a good podcast, but yeah, that that's like a lot dude that i saw and i forget what investigation discovery show oh it was who the fuck did i marry fuck is bleeped out in the um in the title of it but it's not here but it's not here and it's literally gary ridgeway's wife being like oh no he couldn't have done this he couldn't have done this and then she like sees him on the tv being like yeah i did this and she's like what the fuck like he just told me he didn't do it what the hell like so who the fuck did i marry exactly Oh, Sharon Tate, brutally murdered by the Manson family, was the wife of which famous director? James Cameron, Stanley Kubrick, Roman Polanski. Is it Roman Polanski? Yes, it is. Okay. It's Roman Polanski. He was in London at the time. Oh, damn. What was the name of the murdered family depicted in Truman Capote's In Cold Blood? Clutter or Williams? There are only two options. What? What's the name of the family in Truman Capote's In Cold Blood? They all get murdered. Williams? Oh, it's Clutter. I didn't know Clutter was the last name. In Cold Blood tells the true story of the 1959 murders of the Clutter family. While in prison, Richard Eugene Hickok and Perry Edward Smith had learned that the Clutter family kept a safe of money in their house and thus devised a plan to steal the stash once they were released. However, when they broke into the home, there was no such safe. And so they killed each of the four members of the Clutter family who happened to be home that night in cold blood. Yeah, because like you can't find any money. I guess let's just murder these people. God, Perry Edwards is the name of one of the people in Little Mix. No, oh, really? Which one? The one that dated Zayn Malik and then he got a tattoo of her. That tells me nothing. Tell me about their like facial structure. Uh, the blonde one. She's really pretty. Oh, the one that hits all the high notes. Sure. Watch their music video. She's the one with the soprano nose. I like the bigger one, though. She's yeah. my spirit animal. I love Perry. She's so fun. But yeah, she dated Zayn for a while. He got a tattoo of her. Can I tell you something? Honestly, yeah, I don't like Niall's new song. It just like doesn't sound like him. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Like it's not a bad song. It's just like when they told me it was him, I was like, nah. Nice what? to meet you. <laughs> like because I just remember the the verses <laughs> don't make any sense. Like when he's like, I want to tattoo your phone number or whatever in ink. I swear. And I'm like, what the f- why? Why? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Niall, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. I actually <laughs> literally today bought tickets to see him and Louis Capaldi. They're going on tour together. Oh, wow. I love Louis Capaldi. He's really good. He's really talented. Mm-hmm. He's also really, really funny. Really? Yeah, he... Uh, He's not the most attractive. He kind of looks like a bridge troll, <laughs> but a very talented bridge troll. No, hold on. 
please look him up. Because he sounds like he would be. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. That's the least flattering picture I've ever seen in my life. Look at that. That's. That's a bridge troll if I've ever seen one before. No, but like you should <laughs> see the posts he makes on his own Instagram of himself. But this is the kid that's like, once I was seven years no. old. No, no, no. That's, that's Lucas, Lucas Graham. Graham. What does Lucas Capaldi say? Um, because I know him. I was getting kind of right. And someone you love now day bleeds into nightfall, and you're not here. Oh my God! No, he looks like a British mum. He's Scottish, <laughs> but yeah. But he looks like somebody's mom that would be like, do you want some tea? <laughs> like, these are the pictures he Sorry, of himself. Like, <laughs> Look, there he is with the tea. <laughs> See, I was right. Would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> Sorry, British people. I'm Before so you go is the new one. Um, Before you go. I don't think I've heard that one. I could have said to make your heart stop. Okay, so anyway. Okay, yeah, anyway. Who lived at the address 25 Cromwell Street? It's in it's in England because the guy in the picture <laughs> has a ridiculous that ridiculous hat on that the police officers wear over there. So, who lived there? Fred and Rose West, the Yorkshire Ripper, or Harold Shipman? I have no idea the Yorkshire Ripper. No. Oh. Fred and Rose West. I don't know who those people are. They apparently brutally tortured and killed 12 victims between 1973 and 1979. Well, fuck them then. The residence was called the House of Horrors. That's also what they called Kendall Francois' home. Yeah, but like they called that in particular. No, but I'm saying like that's... Call back. Call back. Call back to our first episode. Yeah. People still download literally every day. Really? I'm yeah. so sorry for the audio I'm quality. On that I one, know you guys. because it's so funny too. Because when we first put that out, we were like, "Our audio quality is pretty good." Yeah, and now we're like, "Oh God!" Now, now I tell people, I'm like, "Like I just told my cousins over Christmas, I'm like, no, yeah, go find my true crime podcast.'" And my little cousin was like, "Real? Well, she's not little. She's like uh, 16." Yeah, but she was like, "Oh, my favorite is last podcast on the left." And I was like, "Yeah, no, I have a true crime podcast. It's called Dead Drunk, and we pair cocktails with our faces, yeah. and it's pretty good." She immediately followed us, and then I was like, "Don't." Don't, don't listen, listen to, to the anything old ones. before like <laughs> Adnan. <laughs> well, I like to say listen to Iceman because oh, it's a pretty good Iceman story. Iceman is good, but our audio quality is Our audio quality is absolute garbage and later. I'm sorry. Um, but we're getting better was, with time. Just was, like wine. Exactly. Um, it was funny. I was with my mom yesterday and she always says like, I tell my friends at work about your podcast. I'm like, okay, mom. Is one of her friends you. from work Pamela? Because she immediately today oh. was like, Innocent, like no guilty on scott peterson oh, yeah, and yeah. i was like girl uh, so. listen um but <laughs> so she always says that she does that and i'm like okay mom like thanks like mm. <laughs> i'm walking with her and my mom has lived in albany her whole life and she knows like everybody so we like <laughs> it's not like it's not unusual to be walking on the street and she's like oh hi like pamela <laughs> and um so we're walking to her office because we went to lunch and then we were walking back and this guy is, is walking by and she's like oh hi and he's like jamie how's your daughter's podcast doing and i like pop out and i'm like hello <laughs> and he's, he's like, doing oh, great and he's like where can i listen it but it was just like so funny like how's your daughter's doing with the podcast <laughs> it's like oh that's the first mom. question 
I'm like, that's amazing. Your mom's our biggest fan, and she I love is. that so much. She, I got all of my family dead drunk shirts for Christmas. <laughs> that's amazing. So, I got a crime junkie shirt, you guys, for yeah, my birthday. Prophets and true crime podcast. Oh yeah, because when they're listening to this, you will have had your birthday already. Yeah, I'll be 27, you guys. Oh my god. I know. I'm gonna be 25 this year. <laughs> <laughs> your face. <laughs> You know what John's going to be this year? 29? No. He's going to be 30 this year. Yeah. <gasps> Stop. Yeah. Don't oh tell him, God. though. We're he gets really so, depressed. We're getting so old. I know. <laughs> Holy crap. Sorry, everybody who's older than that. Oh, my God. Are you ready for the next question? Oh, we're yeah. not done yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, go. How many years did Stephen Avery serve in jail before he was exonerated? 10 years, 14 years, or 18 years? This was making a murderer. This is the making a murderer guy. I'm going to go with 18. You were right. Woo-hoo. He was incarcerated on a rape and attempted murder charge for 18 years before he was exonerated due to DNA testing. He was later convicted for the murderer of Teresa Halbach, for which he is currently serving a life sentence. I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> is is he though i thought that was what the show was about i, I don't know i never watched making a murderer oh this is a look at the picture Ooh. one i can't i can't like fit the whole picture in my screen but like this is asking who what serial killer right what serial killer is this a sketch of and it's like a guy with glasses and i mean that's really it he looks like a guy with some wrinkles on his is forehead it john list um no. no, he wasn't a serial killer. It's the Long Island serial killer, the Zodiac killer, or BTK. All right, wait, go back up to the picture. Okay. He has like, um, like almost like Ray Ban type glasses. Yeah, they're thick frame thick glasses. Yeah, yeah. And he has some forehead wrinkles. He looks a little older. He has, and a, like it looks like his hairline is kind of receding. Yeah, but and he has a short haircut. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't I don't know. What's your guess? I don't know. I honestly don't know what the Zodiac killer looks like. Do but we know what, what the Zodiac killer looks like? Oh, no, we don't because he's never been caught. But um That's what I'm saying. Well, I've never seen saying. a sketch of him either, but I've, I I know what BTK looks like and I feel like he kind of looks like this. All right, so let's go with BTK. Oh my god, it's the Zodiac killer, you okay. guys. All right. Oh god. I feel ashamed. Who definitely can't be BTK because BTK is a fucking idiot. <laughs> oh my God. We got five out of 10. We didn't even get seven out of 10. Oh no. I guess we're not true crime experts. Is that what? We only got five out of 10. Well, I guess one that was wrong. And no, yeah, you guessed that one wrong too. The one with how Dahmer got caught. We didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, but I didn't think we got five wrong. Did we? We did apparently. We Ugh, didn't, didn't get the last one right. We... Got Stephen Avery right. Pure guess. Oh, we guessed the Yorkshire Ripper. That was wrong. Right. We should have known that because like who lived there? They would have known the name, right? Yeah. That was stupid of us. We got the family wrong, but I've n- actually never seen In Cold Blood. So. Oh, yeah. I guess we didn't do as well as I hoped. Sharon Tate was beautiful. All yeah. of these questions come with pictures attached to them. <laughs> Love that. So, yeah, guys, we're not true crime experts or anything. We just have a podcast about it. It's just a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. It's fine. We'll get better. We're working on ourselves. Um, 
Yeah. Goal for 2020 is to be able to get at least 7 out of 10 on that quiz. Oh, yeah. We'll have to take, take it again, again at the at end of the, the year. End. Yeah. Let's take a better one at the end of the year with yeah. more killers because we're going to have a really good year, you guys. This is going to be a full year of dead drunk drinks and true crime each week. And if you have something you want us to cover, you can email us at deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. Or you can go ahead and slide right into our DMs on Instagram at deaddrunkcrime. Or on Twitter at deaddrunkcrime. Or you can comment on our blog and read through our cases, read through our drink recipes, listen to the podcast episodes right there at deaddrunkpodcast.com. And I think that's it. We oh, have merch. Well, we do have merch. We already shouted out our merch this episode, but here's another shout out. It's in the show notes. It's a Spreadshirt website. I think we make like... There's hoodies. There's t-shirts. There's bags. There's, there's a mason jar, which we already told you about, which the shake is delicious in. Yeah. So if you're looking for a way to support us, that is a great way. Yeah. And the more you support us, the more content we can put out. We can even give you guys a Patreon this year. And we would love to give you, that's the goal. That's our goal for 2020. Yes. To give you as much content as possible. Here we come. Bye, mom.